Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Greetings one, greetings all. Welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. You you guys really like lists. <laughs> like, I, I know that the best of year-end podcast is always one of the, you know, most highly trafficked because, uh, you know, people like lists. I like lists. You like lists. You know, everybody likes to jump off of each other in regards to, oh man, I missed that record or I learned, learned, you know, about a new band because of that. But I really appreciate you checking out the, you know, yearly nerdery that uh, me and my friends, Joey and uh, Jeremy do. And uh, yeah, it's just each year it gets bigger and bigger and I appreciate that. So thank you for checking it out. And if you are, you know, following along in this journey now, welcome to the podcast because we talk about independent music on a daily or no, not daily. How about a weekly basis, right? I'm almost, gosh, nine years into this thing, eight or nine years. I don't, I, I've lost track. The only thing I keep track of is episode numbers. And this one's 431. Wild to even say that. And uh, this actually, this artist was on Joey's year end list, made my honorable mentions list. But we're talking about a band called Svalbard and uh, Serena Cherry. She is the lead vocalist and guitarist of the band. I reached out after falling in love with this band, it probably August-ish, September-ish or so, maybe a little bit sooner, but um, shout out to my friend, John, who plays bass in a great band called The Beautiful Mistake. He sent it to me and was like, dude, you need to listen to this. This band's great. And I did, and I love it. And that's what transpired. And so I hit up uh, Serena, well, mostly through her label, which is called uh, Church Road Records, uh, run by Justine Jones who is the vocalist for Employed to Serve. And Justine was like, oh yeah, she would love to do the podcast. So we made it happen that way. But um, it, if you have not checked out their newest record, you are, uh, just just dive in. Dive into their whole catalog because I became obsessed and you know had to order all their vinyl and just felt like a you know total fanboy <laughs> after finding out about the band. So uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's why we are having this chat this week. And they are an incredibly unique band. Uh, because, you know, they're hanging out in the UK doing their thing. And then obviously the whole coronavirus thing hit and, you know, promoting a record in the midst of a global pandemic is something that a lot of people had to uh, kind of learn to adapt to. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's incredibly unique. So 
That's what we did. Uh, you can always reach out to the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. There's two things you can do to support the show. You hear this all the time, but some of you might not take it to heart. Maybe just take like five seconds, toss a rating and review up on whatever podcast catcher you listen to this podcast. The Apple Podcast chart is basically the, uh, the, the arbiter of all things cool. So, you know, if you leave a review, I would really, really appreciate that. Um, and you can also just support the products that are advertised in here because, uh, you know, if you're hearing my voice on an advertisement, that means I actually use the thing. I love the thing. And when you, you know, are like, Hey, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should check that thing out. Uh, it's going to support the show in a real way. And, uh, you know, then I, I'm able to make a few bucks off this thing and make it so, uh, it's not just, you know, a complete, um, I don't know. My, so my wife looks at me a little bit differently. We're not just like, "Hey, uh, you're spending hours and hours and hours and hours of your time. Uh, is this is this uh, bringing anything beyond just your own selfish enjoyment?" But you know, secretly, shh, this is a lot of selfish enjoyment. <laughs> Anyways, let's let's dive into the conversation. It's such a good one, and uh, we talk about roller coasters. You know, I'm going to bury the lead, but we talk about roller coasters because that's a huge passion of her. So here we go. Let's talk to Serena's from Svalbard. I had not heard of your band, period, full stop, until probably about a few months ago when my uh, friend, my friend John, uh, he sent me uh, the a single off of you know, or one of the singles you put off uh, off the new record, and he messaged me and said, "You, you guys, like the band that I played in was a melodic hardcore band. I guess technically we're still around, but we're called Taken." And he was like you guys would have absolutely toured with this band. And so I was like, Oh, okay. Like let's, let's listen. And I like to say I fell in love with it was an understatement. I immediately was like, what the hell's wrong with me? Why did I just find out about this band? Like, let me do all of the research humanly possible. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to guess that like when people, you know, maybe either find out about your band or obviously a feeling that you have inside of you when you kind of discover a band that, you know, maybe has put out a couple records before, like, you know, do you know that feeling of you're like, Oh man, I'm kicking myself that I didn't find out about this any sooner. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm a big power metal nerd and this is going to sound super um, like what, like unbelievable, but I only just properly discovered symphony X this year. And I've listened <laughs> for years and years and years. And I've only just discovered the genius <laughs> that is uh, Symphony X. And now I've been like, what What a fool I've been <laughs> to uh, be unaware of these great records for so long. <laughs> sure, sure. And it, I'm sure that is so, it's exciting too when you kind of discover a band that has, you know, uh, output before like just the, you know, new record or whatever. It's like, you're like, oh my gosh, like there's like, 
see, I mean, for Symphony X, there's like, oh, there's like 15 records I get to dive into or whatever. Yeah. But like, it's just that feeling of kind of looking under a rock and then seeing this whole, whole, you know, this subculture that you thought you had a good pulse on, but you're like, oh no, I, I didn't know anything about them. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like sort of stumbling across a hidden cave and then finding it full of treasure. Like, wow, <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> right. And I think that that does speak to the kind of immediacy in which you can um, not only find information about the band, but obviously access their music, i.e. digitally and all the streaming platforms. Because, you know, obviously prior to the internet existing, there would definitely be a lot, you know, you'd still have that feeling, but then you'd have to do a lot of like real hard work to be like, okay, now I got to go to the record store and buy the record and like do all this, you know, extra work (laughs) without having the immediacy of it. Absolutely. I remember when I got into Nightwish and it was about five albums into their career. So Century Child was the album I got into them on. And uh, this was a time when they didn't even have a record, proper record uh, distro in the UK. So I'd have to go into the record shop and like order them on import and pay like 30 pounds for one CD and things like that. Because, yeah, it was before you could really buy stuff online. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, – it was a time, but yeah, at least now. I mean, I've, I've binged this year. Nothing but simply. Yeah. <laughs> well, I re- I'm really glad you brought up that import idea because it is like it was such a, you know, a foreign concept of uh, when you were, you know, paying an absurd amount of money. I mean, you know, we obviously did that in America as well, where it's like, you know, bands for the UK and like, oh, I'm going to buy this you know, $20, three, you know, three song single, because like, there's one new song on it and like two B sides or whatever. So like, I got to buy it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember that when, you know, it's mad though, to think about how severe this change has been from the time when you had to hear a piece of music, you had to pay money to hear it. And now that concept just seems so alien now. Isn't it insane how quickly it's lost its monetary value. It, it, totally. The, um, the diminishment of that, like, you know, of course the flip side of the argument is like, Oh, you know, obviously it's really exciting because everybody can get into a band at a certain point, but then there is that sort of, you know, nostalgic idea of when you actually pay money for a CD, you know, it doesn't even have to be this, you know, expensive import, but like, when you're, you know, 16 and you spend, you know, whatever, 20 American dollars or, you know, 30 pounds or whatever, like you're, you're spending your own money. You kind of have to be like, I, I, I'm going to like this record because this is the only record oh. I can buy for these three months or whatever. Exactly. Like I remember forcing myself to like them. I remember buying um, California by Mr. Bungle. And uh, I mean, I think that's once you get into that record, it's a great record. But on, you know, your first 10 listens, you're just sort of going, what the hell is going on here? And uh, but because uh, that one had cost me about 20 pounds on import money. And uh, uh, I just had to uh, I just forced myself. I listened and listened and listened until I liked it. Whereas now, I mean, yeah, like you say, I think obviously there's the pros and cons, the pros being that everything is accessible to discover now. And that's brilliant. And like, I probably wouldn't be here on this podcast talking to you if the internet didn't lead you to my, to make it easy for you to check out my band. So I'm fully aware of like the doors that the internet has opened for, for bands and musicians and stuff. And that it's great that people can check anything out, um, without sort of having to pay for it. But, uh, at the same time, um, yeah, I, I sort of feel that 
you lose that attention in that I kind of, I wouldn't sit there and listen to a record 10 times to like it or to get my head around it now. You kind of tend to give something two minutes of your time checking out a new video on YouTube. And if it doesn't grab me within the first couple of minutes, and you know, it's, it's you just go, right, what's next? Because there's this sort of endless pool of stuff to check out. So I think it can make mm-hmm. us quite impatient, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, well, it's, I try to reflect on it myself. Cause like, I, I mean, I'm 40 years old. So like I'm ancient by all standards of like punk and hardcore and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. it's like the fact that, you know, people are, I, I think, and I can't remember exactly who commissioned this study, but I think it was done, you know, a couple of years ago where they identified the age in which people stop seeking out new music and you know it's quantifiable via um you know just the data that all of the streaming platforms have on people so i think it was like honestly 22 or 23 years old and you know that like people like you and i that's obviously shocking because it's just like dude what why would you stop you know pursuing new music but like most people reach a point where they're like yeah this is not my life i like music but i'm not like actively looking for hey what's the newest hottest band it's like you know, maybe I'll listen to the radio and some stuff will get spit out at me or, you know, my, my algorithm will do that. But there does become a point where people don't have the attention span for it. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's absolutely a thing. I mean, I've seen it in sort of people uh, that I grew up with or people I went to school with and they, they, they have the phase where they're really, really into, you know, rock and metal and everything. And then it's, it's just, a passing thing. I seem to remember reading about some studies saying that um, due to the kind of hormone hormonal changes that occur when you're a teenager, you're more susceptible to music and like you're more kind of you feel it more. And I also think it's that part of when you're a teenager, your kind of cultural identity is of utmost importance. Um, and that, you know, once you start working and having all these serious responsibilities, stuff like and what bands you listen to and what shirt you're wearing tend to matter less to a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of people as they get older. It's true. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. no, it's very true. It, that is, yeah, because, you know, your, your emotions as you're going through puberty are so, you know, and even obviously post-puberty, like there's so much happening within your body that you're just like, oh my gosh, like this record really impacted me. So this is going to be, you know, my identity. So like I am going to be, you know, this My Chemical Romance person for the next four years or whatever. <laughs> like that's just, that's just who you are. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, kind of putting the, the, the focus on you as a person, um, were you actually born and raised in Bristol or where did you come up? I was born and raised in Bristol. I just, luckily I don't have the accent. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, am, I am from Bristol, but weirdly I sort of, I would always say I don't describe Svalbard to be a Bristol band because the scene here in Bristol's really like, it's like a big circle jerk. And if you're not, in with the cool kids they act like you don't exist and it's not particularly welcoming and it has you know their cool things that it's good to like and then if you're not involved with that you you don't get treated very well so I don't actually don't like it when people sort of say oh Svalbard are a Bristol band and Bristol this uh, the Bristol music scene and I'm like the Bristol music scene sucks it's horrible it's full of like self-important like (laughs) idiots (laughs) 
Sure. <laughs> no, it's very, it's very interesting to hear you de- describe it like that because I, I honestly, I would, um, typify the sound that you have. I mean, like you guys are clearly throwing everything but the kitchen sink into your music. You know, you're, you're, ne- you're never going to stick in one genre. And when bands do that, they do tend to stick out like a sore thumb because they don't, you know, adhere to one scene. I mean, yes, of course you could argue that Svalbard is like, well, yes, you're, you know, metal, hardcore, punk adjacent, but you're playing in all of those uh, ecosystems. So because of the way that your band is sounding, you are never going to be quote unquote welcome in any one particular scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We're too, uh, too metal for the hardcore kids and too hardcore for the metal kids. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that makes that. I mean, especially too, when like you are, I mean, hearing your earlier recordings, like, you know, clearly you were trying to do what you were doing now, but you know, do you just weren't that skilled at it because you know, you're younger and you're just yeah. figuring out what you're doing as a band. Um, but then, you know, hearing where you're at now, it's like, it, it would be easy for people to sit, you know, your first whatever a couple of years as a band and just be like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, what, what, are, what are you even trying to accomplish? You know? <laughs> yeah, it was a weird, uh, all sorts of different ingredients being thrown into the mix. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so what was your family structure like? You know, mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters, where did you kind of sit there? Uh, I have one sister. And um, my mum and dad, and then I didn't have a dad anymore uh, when I was about 12. Uh, And yeah, then it's basically from then on been me, my mum and my sister. Got it. Was that based off of a divorce, I'm guessing? Uh, I don't really want to talk about it, I'm afraid. Sorry. No. Don't even don't don't sweat it. The no, only reason I ask is because uh, you know I mean many people that uh, especially here in America I mean it's like the divorce rate is like fifty percent and so anytime a per and it's probably even higher now I think anytime a person actually has that familial structure um, that is you know uh, connected with the sort of mom and dad in the house or whatever it's uh, it's almost weird it's like you know I come from divorce and like so many of my friends come from divorce and so that's why it's interesting to see which way the person, the individual gravitates towards, whether it's like, oh yes, like my mom was my ride or die or my dad was my ride or die, even if the family does stay intact, you know? So that's the reason yeah. I ask. No, yeah. And uh, I, so, I know exactly what you mean. It's like, it's it's weirder now to come across people whose parents are happily married. Like you come across that now and it's like, whoa, mm-hmm. that's, that's so unusual. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You, you should have been damaged at some point, but wait, you're, wait, your parents are still together. Oh, wow. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so I'm going to guess like, as you, uh, you know, w- once it was you, your mom and your sister as the family unit, um, you know, were you guys, uh, you know, extremely close to one another? Were you, you know, very close to your sister and your mom was a little distant or how did that kind of play into part? Um, I oh wow <laughs> like I've never been asked about this stuff and it turns out it's actually quite hard to talk about um I was the black sheep I guess um my mum and my okay. sister were extremely close and they liked all the same things they liked all the same bands and they would go out to you know shows and everything together and I was sort of always the one left 
behind in an empty house or like you know if I went to a gig because it would be metal and they wouldn't want to do that I go on my own and stuff like that because I didn't oh god wow this is like this is turning into a talent show, soft story. I didn't really have many friends at school either. I was just that. I was the weird metal kid who, you know, was just too weird for their own good. Yeah. Awkward. Um, yeah. So, like, uh, in terms of yeah, when once it was just the three of us. Um, uh, yeah, like my my mum and you were sister just on, were you were on the outside. Close. I was the outsider, yeah. Just taking solace in my yeah. in my Slipknot record. <laughs> Band merch is the name of the game at rockabilia.com. You need to use this code PC100Words. Like, I know it's a little bit late right now because there's no way that you'd be able to buy a gift today when I release this episode and get it in time by Christmas. But that doesn't mean that you should not look at the website, find some of your favorite merch and order it because you will get a discount for one. You'll be supporting an independently run business out of the Midwest. Fast shipping makes it really easy to, uh, to get to you very quickly. And on top of that, the bands get paid for these awesome merch designs. Like I was poking around the website the other day and there are just like, (laughs) there's so much cool stuff. Like if you live in a very cold climate, which I live in Southern California. So frankly, I don't have much use for a scarf, but They've got scars from bands. They got puzzles. They got anything you want to keep you entertained, clothed, warm during these, you know, really long winter months. So please go to rockabilia.com, use the code PC100Words, and that will get you 15% off your order. They support independent music. They support this podcast. They are the real deal. So do it up and support them. Thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all want more time in our lives, you know, whether it's like, Dang, I wish I had like another hour to, you know, play video games or read more or get outside or whatever it is. I know myself that I actually get questions a lot in regards to this podcast. How do you fit it in your day? And like, how do you do the interviews and all that stuff to be able to then balance the rest of my life from my work and, you know, playing in a band and I have a family, all of these things. But that is why therapy is so awesome because it helps you be able to sort out your life to focus on the things that for one, really matter to you and two, try to find more time for those things that you love. That is why I love working with BetterHelp because if you need to find a therapist, they're there for you. So give them a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient for you and they can be suited to your schedule and You fill out a brief questionnaire, matches you up with your own personal therapist, and if you do not like that experience, you can switch it. No problem. No questions asked. It's great. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. It's an offer just for you, the listener of this podcast. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. 
Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Uh, how did you get exposed to, you know, metal in the first place? I mean, clearly it wasn't coming, you know, from your, your house. Uh, you know, was it just kind of like, you know, the internet friends, like how, how was that, uh, injecting itself into your life? Like pretty much everyone I've met, it was from computer games. So I was big on PlayStation. Well, still am, uh, big into my games. And uh, at the time, I had my PS1 in my bedroom and I had, it wasn't Tony Hawk's like it is for everyone else. Mine was, I had this computer game called MTV Sports Snowboarding, which had a Fear Factory song on the soundtrack. It was one of the songs off of Obsolete, uh, Edge Crusher. And um, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to guess Edge Crusher. Yep. Yeah, yeah, of course it was Edge Crusher. And uh yeah, that was one of the tracks. And I remember doing this this level on the snowboarding game and that came on and, and it was like the first time I'd heard screaming or like shouting in a song. And I, I remember thinking like, whoa, this guy is really angry. This guy's really upset. <laughs> like, you know, and when I must have been about 12 years old at the time and, you know, you sort of become a little bit fascinated by things you're scared of at that age. And I think at Initially, when I first heard Edge Crusher by Fear Factor, I was, I was scared. I was like, oh, my God, who are these absolute psychopaths making this music? But then I noticed when you did the levels where you could pick your own track, I kept picking that track. And, uh, yeah, and then I saved up. I had, um, you know, like when you deliver papers for money, uh, like a paper. I don't know what you call mm-hmm. it. It's over here, it's called a paper round. Um, yep, same thing, paper route. yep. Uh, I saved up my money from my paper round and, and finally bought a copy of Obsolete for myself. Uh, yeah, and then that was like my gateway. And then I started buying Kerrang! magazine and seeing like pictures of Slipknot. I mean, instantly I was, you know, uh, just obsessed with that because of the whole package and how great their uh, self-titled album sounded and the imagery and the kind of intensity of that so yeah but it was actually the gateway was games that's really cool i i appreciate you articulating that because i do think it's 
I mean, it's great that, like you said, people have a very common experience of, you know, listening to Tony Hawk Pro Skater and being like, oh, Melancholin is sick. Um, but when you have, you know, when you have another little entry point that's still similar, people can understand that still where it's like, oh yeah, like I, I, I get the fact that, you know, you were playing a snowboard game and, you know, Fear Factory, like that would, that's great. Like that's exactly why those bands sign up to be on the soundtrack. It's yeah. I mean, it's obviously they're getting paid money to do so as well, but it's like, who knows where that one song that you hear can affect a person. And I think it's, uh, it's yeah, it's it's just really it's cool. And on top of that, this is this is something that has kind of been kicking around my brain for a while. But I think like the uh, Slipknot is to what people that were you know kind of raised in the '60s and '70s, uh, or you know most of the '70s. But like Kiss, Kiss had the yeah. same effect on people as Slipknot because of that theatricality, costuming, all that stuff. And it's just so cool to see that be able to get passed on, but in a completely different way. It's so funny you saying that because I was literally saying this very thing last night. I was having this big conversation about kits and I was pretty much word for word said what you just said about Slipknot being like the sort of the, the noughties generation of kiss. And then I would say now uh, that baton has been passed on to Ghost. And uh, that's something, you know, I think Ghost, they get sort of, you know, they have a bit of a love hate response in the metal world, but I think regardless of what you think of them as kind of musicians, um, like the, for them bringing this complete package again, and this entire world, this imagery that can like entice young people in and sort of they're, they're, they're a brilliant gateway band. So I've got personally got a lot of time for that type of stuff because it does it, you know, it, it's changes people's lives when they discover this music and, it's weird to yeah. think, like, and if I hadn't played that game, I probably wouldn't be doing Svalbard. Absolutely. No, for sure. It's like, the, it's that real, the inflection point in people's lives, you know, and it's usually based around an artifact, whether it's like a, you know, a comp CD, a movie, a magazine, whatever. It's always based off this, like, singular thing. And I think it's just, it's really cool when people can trace it back to that artifact, because I think it's so important that, you know, we have those things. Because otherwise, it's just like, you know, oh, how would you get into music? It's like, I don't know. I just kind of like started listening to the radio. And it's like, that, that's cool if that happened to you. But like, when you can be super specific, oh, yeah, I remember on, uh, you know, December 14th. It's like, that's great. That's so cool. You've obviously thought about this. Do you know what? I would love to have a Svalbard song on a game at some point. On like, a, you know, GTA yeah. radio or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that that's a goal. I think you should definitely, uh, you know, put that forth. <laughs> uh, so... I'm going to guess like as you were, you know, kind of uh, consuming metal and, you know, being sort of, you know, the outsider, not only in your family, as far as music taste was concerned, but, you know, you had your group of friends that was into metal and stuff like that. I'm going to guess that you also were kind of the, you know, weirdo at school where it's like, oh, yeah, Serena, like, you know, she's nice, but like, I don't know, man, she's kind of weird because she likes all this weird music. Or where did you kind of sit at identity wise as far as your school is concerned? I didn't have any friends at all. So I was the only metalhead um, in my entire year at that at school, and everyone thought I was really weird and scary. Like people were always really scared of me, and I would sit on this step with my headphones on at like the break times and just listen to my music and stuff. And there were annoyingly there were some people in the years above me who did like it, who would like 
wear like a slipknot hoodie and stuff but they wouldn't talk to me either because I was younger so they thought I was like you know just the the wannabe younger kid trying to like be with the cool older kids kind of thing so they didn't have time for me either but like uh yeah I hated secondary school I just stopped going like by the time I was 15 I think my attendance was like 22 percent um because yeah I I was made to feel very alienated from it I look back now and I go my god that was such a crap I mean you know you think 2020 has been bad but at least I have like housemates now and friends (laughs) Um, (laughs) like yeah at that time it was a very lonely isolated time oh actually I think my the majority of my sort of socialization was on like metal chat rooms and vampire freaks and um (laughs) right wow dude yeah Right. You just brought, I mean, Vampire Freaks, it's it's really funny you mentioned that because I always remember seeing their advertisements, you know, online or like an alternative press over here. And it was one of those things where like that was a, that was a scene that I was not personally drawn to, but I saw it and I was like, okay, there is something important going on there. Um, you know, where people who are into dark things, whatever that may mean, but then fi- be able to find that community appropriately as opposed to like, you know, just kind of randomly poking around the internet trying to find a chat room or whatever. Mm, yeah, yeah, it was great. It was like... Uh, that's really... That, that, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, good old internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so because you didn't care about school um, and I, I'm guessing there was no maybe crystallized idea in your head about like, Oh, this is what I'm going to do as I grow up. Um, you know, what was kind of like, I guess your, your life path, you know, like, did you have an idea of like, Oh yes, I would like to be a, you know, a, not, I mean, a lawyer is probably not the best thing to pull up, but like, you know, did you have an idea about what you wanted to do with your life? I just wanted to play music. That was the only certain in my life for that whole time and it still is the only certain now like you know I've I've worked I basically work jobs to enable me to tour and to play in in bands and have as much time as possible to do music I've never sort of had this career trajectory I've never gone oh I want to um do this with my life and earn this amount of money and buy these things at the moment everything is just about earning enough to pay the rent and to be able to play music and stuff. And I started, I actually started learning drums when I was 12, when I got really into Slipknot because I wanted to be Joey Jordison. I was like obsessed with him and I started learning drums. I still play drums. Um, no one, not very well, <laughs> nowhere near as well as our drummer. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And then eventually um, because I, my drum teacher refused to teach me double kick for two years. He was like, Oh no, you can't learn all that metal nonsense. You've got to learn snare drum rudiments for two years. I think I lost a bit of patience with it. And I switched to guitar and I used to, I didn't have my own guitar. I used to take, my sister had like one of those nylon classical guitars, you know, that she used to play in church and things. And I used to steal it out her room and like try and play Rain and Blood on it and things. And I'm completely self-taught. I've never had a person. Um, but like, I think that never having a guitar lesson was what made it my instrument and made it, you know, feel like sort of a real tool of expression, self-expression for me. And so, yeah, it was just like 
discovering bands, discovering music was like, uh, was what I wanted to do. I mean, I've, I've fallen into other things over time. Like um, I, I used to write, I've, I always still do. Uh, when I was younger, I wrote a lot and I used to write a lot of diaries or like letters or, you know, um, poems, that kind of thing. And, or reviews of like bands and shows I'd seen. Um, and then that eventually like transpired into me writing for some of the big, you know, metal publications over here and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of a, that it was never like I sat down and went, that's what I'm going to do with my life. Like that just sort of happened over, blossomed over time. Right. Well, especially because it was obviously related to music. So it was like anything that is connected to it, that's going to be the thing that you are going to try to do, whatever that may mean, whether it's like writing about it, performing it, whatever. It's like, yeah, as long as I can be involved with it, that's that's my focal point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just, anything to do with music. And I was, uh, I was happy. My first job, I uh, worked in a guitar shop. And um, we, it's like when you're at school here, you have to do a week of work experience where they like, you have to go and apply to somewhere and they let you work there for free for a week to give you a taste of what working's like. And I did it at the guitar shop in the centre of town. And then they kept me on as the Saturday girl for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's perfect. And so I'm guessing because, you know, like you said, you were taking up drums and, you know, guitar came about, uh, you know, whatever, a couple of years after that. Was it always kind of the goal in your head to play in a band or was it just simply the idea that like, oh, like I'm, I just would like to play these instruments, um, you know, and if I find people to play in a band with, then so be it. Or was the, the ultimate idea of playing in band? The ultimate idea was to play in a band. But first and foremost, I was a very selfish creator. So one of the first musical projects I did was obviously a bedroom black metal project with a drum machine. And I wrote three albums that way. Yep. Classic. (laughs) I wrote three albums myself of this uh, bedroom black metal stuff. And then uh, I ended up building a live band around it to be able to tour and stuff. Um, But like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the dream was always to have, you know, people that actually wanted to be in a band with me rather than people I had to pay to play shows with me, Um, (laughs) which happened eventually, you know, it happened eventually after I stopped being such a musical dictator (laughs) and got slightly better at my Right. Well, it, it is interesting when you kind of come at it from the perspective of, uh, you know, and the, I mean, even though, all of these scenes play together relatively well, you know, metal, hardcore and punk and stuff like that. But there, you know, there are certain genres of music that definitely lean more into the, uh, you know, the, the solo musician, like the, you know, solo creator. And so when you actually approach it first from that perspective, it's hard to sort of reverse engineer it and be like, Oh yeah, like I got to collaborate with these other people. Whereas a lot of people have the experience of, creating it with other people and then they kind of go off in the solo the solo router you know the, that musical project so it i can understand why there was a struggle from your perspective being like oh i guess i gotta work with these other people yeah and that's still there in Svalbard now like that's why it took us two and a half years to write this album is because every song just turns into an argument <laughs> like, yeah sure it's really hard to work with <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and I'm sure too, like many people that probably listen to Svalbard would look at it and be like, oh my gosh, like this is just like riff salad, you know, it's just like all of this stuff thrown on top of each other. And like, you know, I mean, I'm obviously being a little, you know, cheeky about it here, but the idea of being able to try to craft that into all of these ideas into a song, like that's not easy. So I can understand why it would take a minute for you to write another record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I suppose that is true. There's a, um, there is a lot to work with, a lot going on. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're, you're not just trying to write three minute punk songs. Like, you know, you're trying to write seven minute epics. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's a cake with many layers, which takes longer to right, Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this takes a while to bake, so hold on, everybody. Yeah. Um, so then as you, uh, you know, as you started to, you know, really get into the idea of, you know, like performing, playing in a band and stuff like that, you know, uh, because you said there was already a divide between, uh, you know, your, your mother's music and your sister's music and the music that you were into, were, were they just like, what the hell is Serena doing with this like music stuff? Like, you know, she's building her life all around this. Like, was there a lot of conflict with that or did they kind of just generally leave you alone? It's a weird one because in some ways, I think nowadays, you know, now that it's like legitimate, now that I can sort of show, Hey, look, we're, we got this many, we're in this position on a Spotify chart or, you know, we're in these magazines and it's kind of looks impressive. I think there's a bit more of acceptance now, but still, yeah, there's very much this attitude, I think, of sort of when are you going to give up and get a real job and have a baby like a normal woman? Do you know what I mean? Like, I think there's very much this kind of um, misconception about what it is to be in a band um, from, say, family members. Like, uh, you know, they think that you're just off on holiday. Like, they'll describe, they'll go, oh, you know, oh, you're off on holiday again. And it's like, it's not. It's sitting sitting in a hot van for 12 hours and seeing a venue and sound checking and then getting no sleep. It's not, don't get to see any sights or anything. But yeah, I do believe that it's almost seen as like this luxury holiday and a bit of a pipe dream and that you're kind of immature for pursuing it as much as I have maybe. Um, Yeah. So I think they they probably, it's weird. They've never been unsupportive, you know, but like, you know, outwardly sort of saying, oh, um, your band is shit or whatever. <laughs> but I think it's very, right, much, right. Uh, yeah, not really something they understand, I guess. Sure. Well, it makes sense because in the context, like I, I don't care how, uh, you know, like young or hip of a parent you are, there the idea of touring on the DIY level you don't understand it unless you've been exposed to it you know (laughs) and like it doesn't mean like you have to do it doesn't mean you have to do it but just being exposed to it like oh my kid did it so now I understand it like oh yeah when they go on tour it doesn't mean a tour bus it means a you know crappy 15 passenger van that will probably break down in 10 hours like that's what it means yeah, with no aircon, no anything. Yeah, no beds. <laughs> yeah, like, they think we stay in hotels. <laughs> yeah, 
we're, 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 we're sleeping on people's floors that we meet the night of the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you just have to hope for the right. best. <laughs> totally. Or it makes a really good story later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was uh, my, first, my first ever tour. The first night was one of those horror stories. We call it Cocaine Axe Man. <laughs> That's it, it's great because you just saying that tells the whole story in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's all anyone needs to know. Totally, you're like, okay, cool. Well, uh, I know that story. <laughs> <laughs> and so the, um, you know, as as you started to, you know, kind of get out there with your own, you know, like you said, enlisting other people to play, you know, the the music that you were creating and that sort of stuff. And then basically, once you started to play like your first shows, um, was it comfortable for you? Because, you know, I mean, from all of the things that you have told me is that, you know, yes, there was no, uh, you know, I wasn't popular in school. Like I didn't have this like, oh, yeah, I was in like the school play. So I'm used to being on stage in front of people. Uh, was it hard for you to kind of get used to, you know, the idea of performing and singing and playing guitar and stuff like that in front of people? Or did it kind of come naturally because of, I guess, you were able to express yourself appropriately? Um, weirdly, it, yeah, it wasn't hard for me. If anything, I found I felt more comfortable on stage performing for people than I did talking to people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if it's that kind of barrier of like the nature of, of performance where like there's a purpose to it. All I have to do is be there and play my guitar and do the vocals and like everything's so loud that it's a very one way street, isn't it? Like no one's going to kind of have any snappy comebacks at me if I'm on stage and I feel kind of protected by the sort of intensity and the loudness of the situation. And also like this kind of, you know, it's one of the very few places where you're encouraged to express yourself. You're encouraged on the, if you're playing a metal show and you put your heart and soul into it, that's a good thing. You know, if you're like sweating and screaming and screaming so much that you're coughing up blood, that's a good thing in the metal world. And where else is that a good thing? So I felt like it was kind of, being on stage immediately, as soon as I started playing in bands live, it was like a safe space for me. And it gave me a lot of confidence um, where that I probably lacked beforehand. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. 
The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Sure. That I mean, I really appreciate you articulating that experience because I think it is, uh, I mean, no matter what, no matter how extroverted you are, getting on a stage and exposing yourself, like, you know, whether, whether it's, like you said, you know, yelling and bleeding or, you know, writhing on the floor or whatever it is that you do to express yourself, like that is a vulnerable moment. And uh, that is difficult at any stage in a you know person playing in a band's life and so for you to be able to step into that and then feel comfortable whereas most other places you didn't feel comfortable like that's a really empowering thing yeah yeah absolutely and like uh i yeah i found it it's it's like transformative for me um but yeah i would always i still find it nowadays the hardest part of the show is like being in the crowd and talking to everyone afterwards <laughs> like yeah because I, I would right. say I'm, I'm a bit so I'm a bit shy and I'm a bit socially awkward but when I'm on stage it's like all of that melts away right <laughs> yeah it's funny you're like uh, and I, I I've heard the statement echoed from other people that are in your position where the idea of having to, um, you know, respond to your art to other people. And I don't mean that in a negative way. That's when it's kind of like, okay, can we stop talking about my band? Can we, like, uh, can, we, can I just talk? Like, can we just talk? <laughs> like, it's probably easier that way. Yeah. I just want to talk about, like, you know, what games they've been playing or, like, what, you know, right. other stuff, what other bands people like. Or, yeah, I find sometimes, uh, this sounds really weird, but, like, sometimes it's really hard for me to take the the excessive praise you know when someone's like oh you're amazing oh I love your band saying that in person and obviously I really really appreciate it and it's really lovely but at the same time it's like for someone who who's quite shy and and struggles with like self-esteem it's like I'm like ah god can we just talk about something else (laughs) right it's like can we recognize that all right cool let's move on (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, um, 
something I found interesting in uh, a lot of the coverage of your band kind of over the years, as far as from a press perspective, um, you know, their heavy music in general clearly gets rooted uh, with it, negative feelings and, you know, how to cope with all the challenges of life. I mean, it's not necessarily always going to be about that, but there's a lot of it that's rooted in that. Um, you know, considering most of the material that you've written with Svalbard, you know, from a lyrical perspective has been set, kind of centered in that. Um, is there, a, I guess, any kind of uh, fear that you have in regards to kind of, you know, uh, sharing too much or like, uh, I got to hold this back because like, I can't really, you know, I, I can't articulate this appropriately or, you know, do you, do you go through a lot of struggles when it comes to, you know, bringing those things up and putting yourself into the music so much? Oh, absolutely. And sometimes I always fear as soon as we release a new album that I've bared too much of like my soul or what I've, I'm going through on it. And I've made it so that, you know, some of the lyrics are almost like wince inducingly honest and painful for like, you know, things to do with depression or, you know, um, things I experience in terms of sexism and stuff like that. Like, I think the phrase would be like, brutally honest and it is really difficult having those lyrics out there on display for anyone to read or like a song like revenge porn you know sort of talking about that experience of having uh, nude photos like shared with eyes they weren't intended for eyes they weren't intended to see and that complete loss of power and that complete wave of judgment that you're met with from ununderstanding people and stuff having a song about that and knowing that I've basically, you know, put, made that information so public is like, uh, sometimes I wrestle with myself a lot. And there's been a lot of songs where I've kind of gone, can I really sing about this? And sort of had to really debate if I have the strength to sing about some of the topics that I do. And yeah, it's like anyone could read the lyrics to our latest album and, and sort of know the dark depths of the depression I suffered last year and stuff. And, and that in itself is like a scary thing. It's, you don't want to be defined by it. And there's been times in the press where I've been very much painted in a way that's then made me feel really like, um, like I'm being held up with a, a mirror in front of myself. That's just only reflecting back the stuff I don't want to be defined as like a recent piece on us. Um, the pull quote was about me getting out of an abusive relationship. And I don't want that abusive relationship to be dictating headlines about my band. Like my band is my savior and my positive thing. And then to have everything kind of tarnished with bad memories, just because I'm choosing to write songs about the subject matter felt, um, it made me feel a bit helpless. It made me feel like, yeah, my, I'm sorry, can you hear howls of laughter? I can't hear howls of laughter. Must be so, must be something pretty funny back there. <laughs> it's my housemate in the room next door. Uh he's laughing his head off. I don't know what I don't know what it is, but yeah. Choice choice moment there, Reese. <laughs> yeah. Uh sorry, sorry, I've completely lost my yeah. train of thought. <laughs> No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the button in there is the fact that, and honestly, I think a lot of it is stemming from, uh, the UK press in general loves the sort of, uh, and, and always has been fascinated with the kind of like 
tabloid nature of musicians. And I've always found it interesting because, I mean, for as long as I can remember, uh, that's always been such a focus. And of course, like, yes, some of it happens over here in America as well, but the UK has always been so focused on it. And it's like, you know, everything from like, oh, you know, I mean, this is obviously, you know, in the past, but like, uh, bring me the horizon versus architects. And like, you know, all of these bands hate this band or like all of this stuff seems to really, really kind of try to drive wedges in between these things. And whether it's like you just being like, yes, like I don't want this relationship to define what the band's record is about. Like this is just one song. We don't need to talk about this at length. And so have you kind of noticed that, I mean, especially because you've had experience with getting, you know, quote unquote covered, do you notice that they, you know, basically just look for the the salacious details? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And like that that piece in particular where the piece, the pull quote was about that, the whole thing read as like a sob story and it read it didn't actually say that much about the band or what the album was about or what the musical inspiration was about. And it took out of context. When I was talking about that abusive relationship, I was actually relating it back to talking about the song, which is about it. And they took all of that context out. So it just became this kind of my life story piece. And yeah, I don't know. It instantly made me regret the way I talked to the press to the point where after some of these pieces have been published in the UK. I've sat down and gone, right, from now on, I'm not doing interviews where I talk to people anymore because it keeps getting twisted. And I'd rather sit there and type something and think about every response and make it kind of bulletproof so that it can't be turned into this, yeah, like you say, kind of um, just overly personal um, tabloid style writing like I don't know I I read that piece I've read a lot of UK press pieces about my band and just sort of gone how is this going to introduce anyone to the band this is meant to be press to get people interested in a record and instead it's just like a kind of overly emotive making me look like this kind of uh victim like just piece of trash journalism yeah no that's I, I can see the frustration there and I mean, kind of along those same tips too, the idea that, uh, you know, when you start to, you know, play in a band and perform and get in front of people, um, you know, there is this, this weird adulation that, you know, happens where, especially, you know, from a vocalist perspective where, you know, people start to pay attention to you in ways where it's just like, oh yes, like, you know, this person is attractive because they sing in a band or whatever. And it's like, you know, I mean, I, I'll be completely honest and like, it definitely happened for me, uh, you know, as I was singing, you know, in the hardcore band that I play in. And so understanding how to navigate that where it's like, is this person actually interested in me from a, like just a status symbol or is like, are they actually interested in me as a human being? Um, you know, did you kind of have to like f- figure out how to navigate that? You know, was that a difficult thing for you? Was that easy to kind of see through the people that were just like, oh yeah, like, I like Serena because she plays in a band and, you know, she knows how to shred or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, was that a difficult thing for you to kind of, uh, I guess, uh, navigate? I learned the hard way about that one. Like, uh, I have definitely had it, or even like fairly recently, like say last year when I was single, um, really struggling to tell the difference between people who were interested in me, Serena, the person, and people who were interested in 
the kind of, you know, guest list for shows and like being with someone who they thought was, oh, you know, has lots of Instagram followers or like, um, you know, being with Serena from Svalbard. I feel that there's definitely this misconception. There's Serena from Svalbard out there who exists on the internet and that's not a real person and people would just be in love with this idea of that person and you could tell like you could tell when you were sort of talking to them that they they just wanted something like a car to show off and something I also learned when I was single last year was there's definitely this thing of like guys who fetishize women musicians like oh I just want to be with a woman in a band and like they'll literally go after any woman in any band because like they love this idea of like being able to show off oh my girlfriend's a woman on stage and people look up to her and she plays an instrument which makes her cool makes her not like other boring girls it's like what I totally I want to be like other I am a <laughs> you know doing that trade-off is is really sexist but like um yeah there was definitely I'm finding it hard to articulate this because it was definitely something that was like really close to the bone this time last year was just having to learn who liked me for me and who was interested in dating Serena from Svalbard because of they thought it made them you know more cool or do you know what I mean? Like they had this complete ideology. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, yeah. There's a st- there's a status behind. I mean, even though it's like, I, I just always laugh at that idea where it's like, okay, if we're talking about a sliding scale of celebrity, like let's calm down. Like <laughs> this is you, if you're interested in attaching yourself to a you know a female musician, like I am in an underground metal band, like. Can, like this, you could probably aim higher than me. So, like, if that's really your aim, like, how about you bark up someone else's tree? Yeah, exactly. Or I've had it where people would show no affection to me just in, in sort of day to day life, but then the minute I was playing a show, and it would be like a, I don't know, say maybe a good big festival show, and in front of playing in front of a big crowd, they would suddenly be all over me and going on about how proud they were and posting photographs of me on stage on on their social media, like, oh, this is my girlfriend kind of thing. But then, you know, when it came to, like, hanging out with just Serena, who isn't on stage and isn't doesn't have all of that attention on them, they didn't want to know. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's, the, yeah, <laughs> talk about a double standard, but yeah. <laughs> No, I appreciate, I appreciate you articulating that. Cause I think it's a, I don't care, you know, male, female, it's a, it's a struggle, especially when you are of a certain age and like most people, you know, are playing in bands when they're younger, you know, between the ages of whatever, 16 and you know, their mid twenties and like you're it, it, those ages, you're an idiot. You have no idea how to do anything, like let alone understand attention that is being paid to you. So it's like, it's a real challenge. I don't think people, you know, talk about it enough. So that's the reason I brought that up. Absolutely. Yeah. I can um, agree with yeah, for sure. Uh, two last things I want to hit on was um, the, uh, you know, once you started to like get out and tour, um, you know, do you like touring? Like, you know, I mean, I, I understand you like the idea of playing in a band and in like performing your music, but, you know, the actual machinations of touring, um, like we were talking about earlier, the idea of, you know, driving around in a van for 12 hours and having no air conditioning. Um, you know, do you, uh, do you like touring or is it just kind of a, obviously a necessary part of playing in a band? 
Um, there are parts I like and parts I don't like. I get really, really anxious about the whole, my, my main issue with touring is not knowing where you're staying and not knowing where you're sleeping, not knowing the people that you're going to be going to their house and sleeping on their floor. Like it's a real sort of thing of trust. And we have had some situations that have made me really uncomfortable in the past. Like, you know, we'll go to stay at some guy's house and then the guy will just be hitting on me the whole time and I'll feel too uncomfortable to go to sleep kind of thing. Um, so there's been, yeah, like there's certain aspects, the unpredictable nature of that I don't, I don't like. And like, if we could get to a point where we could stay in hotels, I would leap at the chance, um, which isn't very, you know, DIY hardcore punker and stuff I know, but like, it's the uncertainty for me or not knowing like, you know, even if, if a place is going to be clean or like anything like that, it makes me, the uncertainty of it all makes me very uncomfortable. Um, I love the actual playing part obviously uh and i love the kind of getting to tour with bands and build those um friendships and relate like we toured with victims this time last year and uh we formed such a great friendship with them you know like friend a bond for life once you've shared those kind of weeks out on the road with people i also really dislike having to do everything as a herd you know uh having to wait for everyone until you can get breakfast, having to wait for everyone until you can stop and get food or, you know what I mean? Or you get back in the van and everyone else decides to take half an hour in the service station. Like, <laughs> um, I guess, totally. it's, you know, people forget you have to like, you suddenly have to really compromise. You can't just go off and explore the city because, you know, everyone's got to go and do all these other things. And yeah, it's, um, I I mean, I really miss it now. I really miss it now that it's not something I can do. And I love the rush of playing a show. And I love, you know, sitting in the van with my bandmates, singing along to crap songs on the stereo and stuff. Um, but it's not without its downsides. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally get that. I, I love how you hit on the herd mentality because yeah, it's, or, or the, the herd, uh, activity process. Cause yeah, it, it definitely gets to a point where you're just like, like, I literally cannot wait any longer. I'm starving. I need to get a bagel. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, the amount of time people are the band. Oh no, so-and-so's left his drumsticks at the venue. Now we've got to go back to the venue. Oh no, so-and-so's left his bag at the persons we're staying with so now we've got to go back for that and it just feels like you're touring feels like you're waiting on your bandmates all the time <laughs> yep oh totally Tour- touring is just hurry up and waiting that's basically yeah. all that it is it's like <laughs> we gotta get here at four show doesn't start till 10 oh geez what are we gonna do for six hours i don't know whatever yeah. uh, <laughs> I would be uh, I would be remiss if I did not uh, bring up uh, roller coasters because uh, you know I mean clearly that's like a passion of yours and you know you obviously uh, contribute to you know a variety of uh, you know publications and uh, video channels in regards to your coverage of that um, you know that uh, that's a that's like a wild hobby because like you know I mean most people generically speaking like roller coasters but for a person to take that extra step and be like obsessed with it and be like oh, yo, like this angle that this roller coaster goes in is different than this one. Like no one is dissecting it like that, except you're when you're really passionate about it. So like walk me through that because that's, you know, hilarious. <laughs> I, 
I think that's a really interesting thing that I think about a lot as well is how going to a theme park or an amusement park is something that most people will experience in their lives. It's a very, very mainstream activity. It's something that can be done by anyone and everyone, you know. It's not sort of like um, a scene thing that's going to have gatekeepers. And yet, you know, you say a roller coaster, a theme park to people and they know what you're talking about. It's not the same as trying to describe blast beats and black metal to, 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 a, to a generic kind of person um, who's not into metal. Uh, but then to there's so there's this level of like you know everyone knows what these things are, but do they know who manufactured that roller coaster? Do they know the names of all the different inversions? Do they know like you say about all the different angles of the drops or the uh, mag- the types of magnets that are used on the launch system? Probably not. And all of this stuff comes from just being super like passionate and enthusiastic about them and you I guess the more fascinated you are by something the more your thirst for knowledge grows um but yeah like roller coasters are my biggest passion in life outside of music um from a really young age uh I was always I just kind of yeah I sort of think of them as 3D art that you can climb aboard and actually experience um you know like looking at the structure is it's you don't nothing else in life looks like a roller coaster they're so like sort of imaginatively structured and things but then you can actually climb aboard and and experience it and feel physically the force of this piece of art which is unique that's a unique sensation to anything out there um and then yeah as I grew older I discovered entire forums and communities online that were dedicated to theme park enthusiasm and roller coasters and that really helped my knowledge to grow and you know find people uh that to share the hobby and the excitement with and it's it's super infectious i think you know once you um i i work for coaster force um and once you come on like a coaster force trip and meet fellow like-minded enthusiasts you sort of you never go back it's like getting a tattoo you're always going to want more and you're always going to want to ride more coasters um uh, recently i've so i've ridden 648 different roller coasters all around the world um and i've made tv sh- shows about them in japan and in here in the uk uh yeah it's like a huge part of my life um and i can't imagine where my life would be without it and it's much to the annoyance of the band because whenever we're on tour if we do happen to have some time i'm always like there's a theme park nearby i'm just gonna go and <laughs> totally roller coasters <laughs> right you're like hey 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 guys uh you know what's happening on this day off <laughs> Sorry, whether you like it or not, we're going to this. We're going to this roller coaster. We're just going to this yeah. theme park. Well, I, but I, I think he hates it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. But I mean, I think it really speaks to the um, the level of obsession that I think many people that get you know obsessed about music and you know don't only just want to know about the, you know, sort of surface level thing, like you're going seven layers deeper uh, to, you know, obviously know the bands that influence the band that you like. And like that, that level of obsession bleeds over into other things. And like, you don't just take, you know, roller coasters casually. You're like, no, like I want to know everything about everything. And so I think it, it, it makes sense why the connective tissue, I mean, it doesn't make sense from a 
logical perspective where it's like, what's the connection between music and roller coasters? And it's like, well, I don't know. you know, yes, you can make an argument, thrilling, whatever, like all that stuff you're talking about. But uh, the level of obsession I can track in a very easy way. Yes. Yeah, that is exactly yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> the. I have to ask about, did you see on, uh, well, I th- I know it's on HBO here in America, the uh, Class Action Park. Have you uh, heard about that documentary or yeah. are familiar yeah. with it? I've seen it, yeah. <laughs> Which is it, that, I mean, I only had a very topical knowledge of that before I watched the documentary and I just, I could not even believe that that was a thing. I know, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely it, it, is. is is that like a, a mythical thing within the context of the, uh, you know, uh, theme park enthusiast? Like people are like, oh yeah, like action park. Like that's, that's a thing. Like most people know about it as like, you know, uh, I guess as like a, a starter pack. Like most people that get obsessed with theme parks hear about it pretty quickly. Oh, um, it's a weird one. I think it's probably different with, depending on what country you're from. Uh, so if you're from sure. the States, then yeah, it's probably like sort of, uh, more common knowledge but I think over here in the UK that's like yeah sort of as as you said seven levels deep knowledge to know about Action Park and stuff <laughs> right yeah it's not like hanging out in Bristol being like hey I know about this theme park in New Jersey that was like really illegal it's like what what are you talking about <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's really funny well, Serena, honestly, thank you so much for hanging out with me. And I really appreciate you oh, going all these, so. uh, these random places. It was really fun. I really appreciate the depth of your questions. It's nice to actually, yeah, be able to really talk about these things in detail. So thank you. That was such a good chat. I really, I mean, every week I feel lucky to bring these episodes to you, and uh, this week was no exception. And uh, thank you to Justine and Serena for uh, cooking this up, hooking this up, and uh, doing the chat with me. So I very much appreciate that. Uh, Check out all things Svalbard on any streaming platform you like, and uh, you'll be able to find your new favorite band, hopefully. Next week, speaking of new favorite bands, uh, there's a band called Souvenirs. They've existed for quite some time, but they just recently put out a new full length that is uh, really, really, really good. And I had Tim Riley on the show. Uh, he's the vocalist, lead guitarist, singwriter, singwriter, songwriter. And um, yeah, he has a really, really interesting story. I've been friends with him for quite some time, but um, I didn't know a lot about uh, what he kind of went through recently. He went through, you know, a big battle with uh, an autoimmune disease, this autoimmune disease, and he is still, uh, you know, working through that. And this whole record is about that. So that's what we got next week. And uh, Merry Christmas. I realize I didn't say that to you, but Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that stuff. Um, you know, the show is 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 just brings me so much joy. So thanks for listening. And as always, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles 
and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.